0: everybody welcome to the punk die die podcast number 106
1: man we are mowing through these aren't we we are just
0: flying really are and
1: i just i'm i don't feel like we're going to slow down anytime soon no i know we seem to have a lot of a lot of decent guests maybe on, on tap and uh, seem to be interested,
0: and uh, the interest seems to be growing, so... And there's,
1: yeah, of course, there's, and there's always lots of stuff to talk about, right, and to bitch about, so...
0: Well, you know, I feel like episode 105, which I'm sure most of you have listened to by now, we blew off so much steam that I'm actually sort of deflated of anger at the moment. <laughs>
1: oh, I'm not. That's,
0: that's <laughs> the way it goes when we have one where we really have a have a sort of a blowout. So, anyway, you can, of course, reach us at PunkTillIDie77 at Gmail and podcast on Facebook. And once again... If you want to talk crap and kind of have fun and goof around yeah, with blow us, off some
1: steam in our group, like yeah.
0: Facebook group, you can have your record collection be judged by us. Yep. and that kind of thing. So, and, ha- no, have,
1: and and having those, if we see they're available, there, there might be like a, a group phone call or something like that. We sometimes, yeah. you know, that might happen. You know, that's true.
0: <laughs> but but anyway, without further well, no, I say not without further ado. Yeah, but actually, so it, those of you who heard number was it ninety eight, Neil Glenn Madlock? Um, I think so. Yeah, I think that was ninety eight. Yeah, so we This is actually going to be a very similar format to that. And as we continue our march towards Neil having a discussion with each of his boyhood heroes.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm de- I'm delighted about this one. I I really am. Um, and hopefully everybody knows who who this is. Um, today we're very honored to be joined by uh, TV Smith, um, of the adverts. Yes. And yeah. a matter of
0: fact, I remember Neil saying in an early episode, much to my shock, that the crossing of the Red Sea with the adverts was that he preferred it to never mind the bollocks. Yeah, Use the sex pistols.
1: I do because it, it felt it felt a, more real to me.
0: It's a very very good album. I've I've been revisiting it, kind of boning up for this, and. Uh, so yeah, this is it was it was really uh it, this was uh, a real uh, good opportunity for us, and very very uh, nice that he was willing to uh, do this. So now, do I say without further ado, Neil? Yeah, do it without further ado. without further ado, TV Smith. Well, we are really excited to have with us today, TV Smith from the adverts and a solo career that spanned many, many years. So, how are you doing? So, you're so you're actually Tim. How are you doing, Tim?
2: I'm fine, thanks, uh, Tom. Yeah, a Tom and a Tim. Look at that. Yeah, Tom, there you go. Tom and a Tim.
1: So, uh, whereabouts are you in England at the moment, sir uh, Tim? Are you you're still in England, right?
2: Uh, I'm in England. Yeah, I'm in the West Country, uh, on the edge of Dartmoor. Uh, moved out from London about five years ago, back to where I was uh, where I was brought up. Actually, but, uh, this is where. Kind of uh, where I spent my childhood and uh, and uh, went to school here, and I've kind of moved back down here as my base.
1: Now, how come because most people like flock to London, not not like away from London,
2: right? Yeah, I guess that is the case. But um, I, I don't know. I, you know, I kind of I just kind of felt well. You know, one reason was that I fell in love with my first hurt girlfriend at, uh, uh, again, and uh, oh, sorry. <laughs> down here, so I, we, I moved down here together with her. And, um, and really appreciate kind of like being out of the, the city as, as well, you know, it's, uh, you know, my whole uh, last 40 years has really been touring and, you know, being in built up areas and, you know, a lot of stress and, uh, and, uh, and you know, it's just nice to get back out into the country and, you know, see the greenfields and have a, you know, when I'm not touring to see a bit of a, a bit of a different kind of a lifestyle. Of course, that's not been the case for the last year. <laughs> yeah, right, for sure. No,
1: yeah.
2: At all. But uh, but uh, I can't think of a nicer place to spend lockdown.
1: And it's a hell of a lot yeah. cheaper, I'd imagine, as well, right? Because London is expensive as hell, from what I remember.
2: Well, I guess so, yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, <laughs>
0: uh, well, it, the truth is, it doesn't re- I mean, it doesn't seem like it really matters where people are based anymore. A touring, you know, a touring musician, you could pretty much be anywhere. I think that's something we kind of learned the last year, right? Is like, you don't have to be in a centralized. Yeah, have to be in a centralized area.
2: Well, we, yeah, I mean, we've uh, we've learnt a hell of a lot over the last year, and you know, look at us now. You know, we're we having this conversation thousands and thousands of miles of, apart from each other, and um, it's a it's a big world, but it's it's also a small world in that sense. Um, you know, I've been doing live streams from from my home, you know, and, and getting as many people at those gigs as I get from. You know, have <laughs> to punish myself traveling thousands of miles and you know in appalling conditions but which of course i will do again as soon as, as i'm allowed to but um it, you know it's been an int- interesting experience in many ways because of that
1: we'll talk about that a second because i see that you i mean obviously you, you you tour everywhere but um spent a lot of time in europe so how is the whole brexit thing gonna gonna affect your your ability to to tour in the future
2: well, the strange thing is that I don't know because uh, it's you know it's this double whammy of uh, of Brexit and the and the pandemic uh, means that I haven't been able to test it out and see how it's going to go. Obviously, it's a it's the last thing I wanted was was Brexit and um, you know anything at this is hard enough you know without without the government throwing another obstacle in the way of getting out and and going on tour. Um, so. You know that's yet to be. I've yet to find out how how difficult and expensive that's going to be.
1: Yeah, that yeah because I mean I've seen you spend a lot of time in Germany, right? It seems like you do a awful lot of stuff in Germany.
2: Yeah, that is my major touring country really, and um, and um, you know I've got offers coming in for Germany as soon as the as the pandemic's over, and we're all allowed to travel again. And how I'm going to be able to do it, I, I'm not quite sure at the moment certainly the, you know, question of taking, you know, CDs to sell with me, yeah. and uh, is is going to be a very difficult issue. And of course, that's a massive part of any musicians kind of income these days. And uh, they often the thing that, that is the balance between making a tour work financially or, or, or losing money on it. Um, so we'll see. I mean, I'm happily in the position where um, it's just me and my partner travel uh, together. You know, I don't have a Uh, And we travel by public transport. I'm not in the position of having to have a van load of um, equipment (laughs) and and amps and things that I've got to declare every time I cross a border. Well, that's going to make it easier, though, right? It's uh, certainly going to make it easier than a lot of vans. And I'm sure I will find a way to do it. Whereas for a lot of vans touring on the cheap, you know, I think it could break them.
1: Yeah, no, definitely. I could I could see that. Even though like you say with the internet and stuff like that, pretty much the only thing you do need these days is a decent in- internet connection, right? You need to pay, you need to pay for that, but
2: uh it's put... a it's an alternative, but you know there is there is and there will never be anything like going and seeing a band live, in, you know, when they're standing in front of you playing and it's happening there and then. Absolutely. 100%. Yeah. So so England
0: is supposed to be kind of opening back up and like june or something right have you dared to book a gig yet or are you just kind of holding holding on
2: well the position at the moment is that uh, um the outdoor gigs are theoretically going to be allowed um from in a couple of weeks time as long as you can do the necessary social distancing and various other kind of rules um there is talk of things opening up again at the end of june um and i have got a couple of gigs booked as tryouts and in fact i've got a gig at the end of this month in an outdoor venue Mm -hmm. um nobody knows you know nobody knows i mean a lot the vaccination program has gone very well here and it's actually the only thing that this government has done right you know because they really (laughs) messed up when the whole thing started off but they have really ensured that, that um they put all their efforts into it, getting everyone vaccinated. So, I think that is going to choke off the pandemic in in England, and um, it going to help get things back to normal. Um, so, I think there is a possibility we could we could see some gigs again by the end of the year.
1: Now, are, are you due to play Rebellion this year, or is that not something you're going to do this year?
2: Um, well, the whole the whole kind of I'm not actually booked for it to be honest, to be honest, because. Okay. Uh, this whole, you know, I'm often booked last minute because I know the Rebellion organisers really well, and they usually just, you know, when they've got their other acts in, they usually get a hold of me then and say, "Hey, TV, uh, you playing?" <laughs> I go, "Yeah." Um, what day should, you know? So that's the way it usually works. So then, of course, this whole thing hit last year in March, before the Rebellion lineup was really finalised, and uh, it's been in limbo ever since. So we don't actually know whether Rebellion's going to happen or if it's going to be a cut down. You know, affair. I imagine a lot of the, you know, a lot of the rebellion is based on the big Amer- American bands coming in and doing the headline spots. And I can't see that happening. Um,
0: it was very, it was very, very light on American bands this year. You could tell that they definitely concentrated on. I mean, it's ninety percent English this year, wasn't it, Neil? I think,
1: yeah. I think so. I th- but I think, I think was it Bad Religion and the Circle Jerks? I think was yeah. supposed to be yep. playing. Okay.
2: Yep. Yeah, Rollins Yeah, were supposed to be on. So you know, when you take away those headliners and, you know, I, I guess the, the balance will change. Um, people will go to rebellion anyway, that's the thing, you know, because of, to meet their mates and to, uh, and because of the yearly sort of gathering of, of um, you know, of, of these people who all know each other well and they'll go and see all the bands, they love all the bands, they like to have the, you know, the the um, sweetener of, of the big bands playing at the end of the night, so... I don't know I don't know I don't think they know to be honest I think they're waiting to see if things really do open up and then when when we all know better by June or whenever then they'll they'll slam together some sort of lineup and, and make it work
1: hmm. now how do you how well, do you feel about playing that kind of that kind of event where you know a lot of the bands are obviously like the old school bands from the 70s and 80s and things like that you know doing greatest hits sets and stuff like that are you does that bother you or are you, are you all right with that
2: um, it used to bother me, but before I played it, and then I actually went and played it, which which was a long time ago, like nineteen ninety six, and and I played it every year since. So I think that tells you what oh, cool. I think about. It. Mm. Um, um, it's just a it's just a fantastic bunch of people and a great atmosphere, and yeah, of course it is. In many ways, it's a nostalgia fest, but it's not only a nostalgia fest. That's the thing. It's uh, you know there's there's Plenty of newer bands, and there's plenty of bands trying out new material, and young bands more and more coming into it. New bands, you know, that fit into the general kind of punk scene. And uh, I do, I do occasionally play it with the bored teenagers when we play an advert set. But then I also play uh, solo most years, and last the year before last soloing, and in fact for two years I played on the Opera stage, which is a massive, massive two thousand capacity stage oh. playing solo so you know it's a it's a very all-embracing kind of festival
1: oh that's cool yeah i've always always wanted to go and in fact i was going to make the trip over last year to go to it but obviously that got that got shut down so Mm -hmm. thinking of it this year but like you said we don't even know if it's going to go ahead and it seems like if i come in from the from the us there's some crazy i got to quarantine for 14 days or whatever it is and get a bunch of tests so
2: yeah, this is the risk, and you know this is what's going to really sort of stymie it with a lot of the bands that are going to come from America or from other countries as well. Because of course, it's, it's a it's a global festival; people come from all over the world.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, I'll tell you what. T- taking a taking a step back in time, um, it's it's actually funny. A few episodes ago, we did a um, an episode that was about like pre-punk kind of stuff. And so uh, we actually played a I actually played a track by Sleaze. That was your first band, right? Back in the <laughs> early 70s, right?
2: Yep. That was a, uh, you know, before I moved up to London actually when I was uh, I was in art college in Torquay, which is just about 20 miles away from where I live now and um and I'd already started writing writing and, you know, forming bands. I'd had a band at school before that as well. And um so yeah, I I um um, you know, I put this band together and uh, paid to get a, that record made. Um, we we just pressed fifty copies for family and friends, and um, then a few years ago, this American label came and asked me if I, if they could put out a vinyl version. So I, I said, yeah, why not? You know.
1: Yeah, I mean, and some uh, some some of the stuff's good. I mean, the one track we played was I think it became New Boys, right? Um, when you played it to
2: the adverts, I think, right. Which is, yeah, it's kind of weird, kind of freeform lyrics was uh, I thought it was being surreal and interesting, but uh, <laughs> when, when I got into the uh, uh, kind of revamped the song for the adverts, I, I kind of tightened up the lyrics a little bit.
1: Yeah, I was going to say it was a lot more focused and it was a lot faster as well. Yeah. Obviously, when you when yeah. you brought it into the adverts. Now, were you were you just always a singer, or were you playing guitar as well?
2: Uh, I was writing on guitar and. Um, Actually, you know, I only taught myself guitar, and uh, I found that the songs were too complex for me to play myself. Actually, so I always got other people to uh, other guitarists in.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. Um,
2: so, so the so sleaze was like more like a
0: like a pub a pub kind of glammy kind of a band. Then
2: it was a kind of a glam uh, pre-punk glam band. I mean, my influences were, you know, Iggy and. Ali Cooper and and, uh, Cockney Rebel, uh, Bowie, Roxy Music. So it was all those kind of bands. But at the same time, I was listening to to some of these proggy bands like um, Van de Graaff Generator. So it was a kind of weird mix of all that that type of music.
1: And you were a college student as well, right? So that all mixed in together as
2: well. Yeah, I was like, I don't know, 17, 16, 17 years old. You know, with a million thoughts buzzing around my head, that I was trying to trying to pin down into music. <laughs>
1: so, adverts, London. Um, I always wondered on on the first album, why was Gary Gomez Eyes not on the first album? Was that a was, well, was, was was that a decision you you made purposefully, or was that an oversight on the label, or what?
2: Oh no, it's a decision I made on purpose. I mean, we had a lot of material, and remember, it was only vinyl those days, so. Um the you know, Gary Gemma was a hit and a lot of people had it already as a single and we only had really thirty five minutes um um on the on to on the vinyl, you know, before the quality started to degrade. So I, I did make the decision to leave it off. Hmm. Um so I could fit something else on, really.
1: Okay, well at well, moment it's still it. It, it, and it's funny it, it's on all the repress versions right i know they've all got extended tracks and b-sides and stuff like that yeah. but um yeah i mean i was well, I, go ahead
2: i got smarter <laughs> I just, you know I just, oh, it's a rip-off you've only been you know to leave a to, to 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 have that off you know when most people have got it already i just felt it was kind of like you know i had these kind of ideals about you know, people wouldn't <laughs> want to hear it again when they only had 35 minutes you know it's <laughs> onto the vinyl but uh I realized that was a stupid thing to do I should have put it on and and um and uh, you know and save save one of the other tracks for for later but I didn't
1: no i mean the the album holds to, holds together beautifully and in fact now when I hear the repress versions I think well, that's weird that's not even supposed to be there so but uh yeah, but, it's, but, but it's, it's funny it's it's funny you say that about the um you know put put the hit on there or whatever but for me as a kid because I was sixteen I was fifteen or sixteen of course you all you have is pocket money. So when you when I was buying it, I was kind of upset it it wasn't on there, but uh, mm-hmm. but yeah yeah <laughs>
2: the other was stylistically I didn't think it fitted in with the rest of the material. You know it was it was a very it was a different kind of song than virtually everything else I wrote. So I liked it as a as a single. It didn't flow with the album to me along with the rest of the stuff. was very much more personal, whereas Gary Gilmore was. a, a different kind of state when it was a kind of a story song
1: agreed yeah it's like it's like if, a standalone in it yeah if something <laughs> had
2: to drop off i felt that was a one given that it was a different kind of song and most people already had it
0: So in the eyes of history, I think we look back at the adverts and I've read a lot about it. And and as you guys being trailblazers for having a woman in the band when there wasn't very many women involved with the punk scene back in those days. And, uh, you know, of course, Gay was, you know, attractive and and definitely a, somebody that drew people to the band but at the time did you did you think anything about it or was it just this is you know this is our friend or this is my partner and and she's in the band was there any was there any sense of that you guys were doing something different as far as that went
2: not really you know so as you said i mean at the time she was my partner and she wanted to play bass and uh and uh, it made sense for me then to form a band you know with her in it um and i didn't really feel it was that out, out of the ordinary either. Anyway, I mean, it was Susie, there was a sure. um, you know, we had yeah. the Slits. Penetration, yeah. Runaways, there's Penetration over here. Sure. It wasn't really that, you know, I think the balance of uh, women to men in bands, you know, in punk was probably more than, than, than in the general music business.
0: Probably. Well, it's just funny because everybody, everybody loves their revisionist history, you know, and I think we tend to look back and kind of make, a mountain out of a molehill with some of this stuff and I think maybe that's one of those things but it is it is sort of interesting you know now we have perspective at the time
2: there was no perspective obviously yeah but I mean look at Blondie you know the, some of the yeah. biggest teams in punk were, were female absolutely
1: I mean I mean the yeah the, the only thing there was a there was a drawback to it I guess was that she got all the attention I'm assuming right I mean the cover of the first single and all that kind of thing so nobody could have foreseen that I'm assuming
2: well no they, we didn't foresee that and it did kind of upset the balance and a lot of people then took the band to be like something that was hanging on gay you know as if you know it was like some kind of like gimmicky band which was unfortunate and um, you know although that first single was a classic cover I really wish I'd you know been stronger and stamped that out at at the time because it did throw the balance out um, about what the band was about and she didn't want it, and uh, I didn't want it, but it was a, it was um, it was imposed by stiff records, because it was a classic cover. You know, you can't take away from it. It was a very difficult decision, because as soon as you saw that cover, when you know when their art department showed it to us, and it was a fait accompli, uh, anyway. Um, but you had to say it was a great cover. You know, it is, various, it was. very It really it
1: was. Yeah. Yeah, it's outstanding. Yeah. I tell it you is.
2: what, talking about
1: covers. Let's 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 talk for a second about the cover of the second album, shall we? Mm. <laughs> like, like um, whose idea was that? And when you saw it, what did you what did you think?
2: Um, it was the RCA because by that time we signed to RCA, and um, it was you know their idea to set up this photo shoot, and uh, they sweet talked us into doing it. And we we didn't like the idea anyway, but they. They kind of said, "Oh, it's going to be all this moody lighting, and uh, and um, you know, our eyes, you know, put the makeup on, and our eyes would be glaring out of this darkness." And you know, it's all just a load of crap. You know, it was just one of the worst covers ever, ever, uh, ever in the history of punk rock. I think. And uh, and uh, once again, it's presented to us. That's that. I'd uh, I'd ask for the um, the uh, for the cover to be um, that um guy who demonstrated against the vietnam war the the buddhist monk set himself oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. which you know which they uh they refused to let me have the beast the back of the sleeve was what i wanted with all the people m- m- running away from the troop from the tanks across the square in a protest um mm-hmm. and uh they let me have that because no one knows what it was um and uh <laughs> they wouldn't let me have the front cover and uh they t- sweet talked us into that photo session instead but then you know years later Rage Against the Machine used the very same photo I wanted, and guess what label they were on? RCA.
0: <laughs> to, to great success. I mean, it, it worked really well, right? Yeah. Like, a, matter of fact, the cover of that album is way better than any of the songs on it.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, it would have been a great cover for. Um, it, absolutely. Past the thousands and uh, and uh, if we could have got that cover, and if we could have just edged the mastering so it was a you know so that the album sounded a bit. Kind of uh, crunchier and and um, and richer than, I think it would have been a really really stunning album and you know it just fell at the last post really because of those two things.
1: Well, it's it's a real shame because it is it's a uh, I think it's it's a fantastic album and I'm actually looking at the cover right now I just pulled it out of my collection and it's uh, I never looked at it before like really close it's very 80s it's very well, 80s looking it's it? well it's very 80s and it's also with the amount of eyeliner they put on the band it's yeah. I mean, it makes it look like it's like casual or something i not
2: I, 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 I and it's like really 80s logo they they dreamed up for it as well i don't know if you saw the re-release on that um we did on fire records a few um a few years ago but we did th- manage to thicken up the sound a little bit and oh, and okay. re- rejig the cover so it's a it's got a, a black uh, background. It's a bit more towards what I thought they were talking about when they when they sold us a cover. So we did manage to improve it on the re-release.
1: But the funny thing is, I'd never noticed before, the rest of the band are all looking up or to the side or something. You're the only one that's looking right at the camera. So that's actually that's actually pretty cool. I kind of like that, actually.
2: It's the only thing that, uh, that works. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's a real shame though because it is a fantastic album, and you mentioned Henry Rollins before, right? And I think he's a huge fan of that album. I think, right? I know he's he's talked about it a few times and in his books and stuff. So, do you have a good relationship with him?
2: Yeah, he's great. Yeah, he's a great guy. And um, yeah, he 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 once wrote me a the first time I came across me, he wrote me like a, a fan letter. He left it in a you know, he played this venue in Belgium, and and I was playing a few weeks later and uh and he left me a fan letter to kind of say i've always loved your stuff TV, and <laughs> and um, and he loved cast of thousands always wanted to cover my place he said and uh, and then we kind of struck up commun- you know a kind of communication and um i got i get great with henry yeah he's a really good guy
0: it's it's strange you know i asked I ask the same question Question to Glenn Madlock, and I'm asked, and I mean no, absolutely no disrespect by it, because the fact of the matter is, you've had an amazing career. You've been playing music for like forty five years, but but a lot of people want to talk about the stuff you did, you know, when you were twenty years old. Do you, does does that? If you come to a certain amount of peace with that, or does that still kind of bother you?
2: Um, it doesn't bother me. I've come to a certain amount of peace with it because, um, you know, it's the way I look at it my career is uh, better now than it's ever been i mean i look at the period of the adverts as you know the fact i could get out two albums in a classic period of music history is great and i understand that people do love nostalgia and they do you know love these important periods of history and punk was an important period of history but for me in my everyday life you know, I'm going around and I'm playing 120 gigs a year. You know that takes sure. up everything, and I'm writing. You know, I'm, I'm I've got new songs and new songs, and people want to hear the new songs, and they want to hear a few old songs. So, mm. my real life is pretty balanced, to to be honest. And um, and I don't like I don't like it when people just obsessively focus on what happened in '77. I find that a bit weird and sure. sick. But uh, as long as there's a balance, I don't mind.
0: Sure. Well, it's funny because those—I mean, those first couple of years definitely opened the door, probably to some of the stuff you're still doing today, right? You know, I mean, uh, that rebellion crowd already loves you, and they're gonna—you know—it's it, so it's it's uh, definitely uh, you were in the right time at the right place, no question.
2: Well, yeah, that's true. Um, you know, one thing that really kind of puts it into balance for me is that, is that you know you have to understand that for many years after punk I couldn't move in the music business you know no one was interested so I really went back down to nothing I had no label I had no publisher I had no management I had nothing I couldn't do a gig I couldn't get a record out so you know that was like a reset for me and what happened was that um um I went to a German band called Die they were a massive band in Germany yeah the
1: are good um, good band
2: Yeah, put out a record of punk covers, uh, including Gary Gilmour's Eyes. And I went out to Germany, and uh, that was the only song the Germans knew of mine. Uh, (laughs) Because I've had a a, um, a cover by them, that song covered by them. They came to my gigs, and what they got was all the new stuff. And Gary Gilmore's eyes. So they got into me because all the new stuff, you know. And then, then I went back to Germany, and it wasn't, you know, I didn't. I built the career, my career there, by the songs I was writing at the time, you know. And it was almost like the advert's history was almost not of any interest to them. They didn't know the adverts songs. They knew Gary Gilmore's eyes because the Detour knows and had played it, but they didn't know the advert stuff. So you know, I didn't feel my my music was pinned to the adverts over there and it was kind of like an extra add on extra that they then went and found out about afterwards so the balance for me is very very different from maybe what other people perceive it
1: that's cool shifting on from the adverts for a second so your next band after that was uh tv smith's explorers right yeah um now tomahawk cruise and some of the songs from the explorers were those songs you'd written while you were in the adverts or were they completely
2: new uh, some of them were coming up during the adverts. I mean, I look back on my old uh, notebooks and I see there's a very it's a kind of mix of 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 Explorer songs and cast a thousand songs, and which ones ended up where I don't I don't quite know how that happened. I guess just some got finished first and uh, and um, and came out on cast a thousands and others I hadn't quite finished, but I can see the bits of. Bits of those songs all around that same period, and then obviously after the adverts broke up, I carried on writing with the Explorers. But then it's the same kind of mix after that, you know, the the songs that came out after the Explorers.
1: Okay, because I mean, Tomahawk Cruise is, uh, I mean, I mean to me that it could almost be an advert song. I mean, it's classic. Uh, fantastic, fantastic song, and I don't know how that wasn't a, wasn't a huge hit. But for our f- for the people out here who, you know, a lot of Americans and maybe younger listeners, do you want to explain what Tomahawk Cruise was? Because they might be thinking it was some kind of vacation with some
2: Native Americans or something. So... <laughs> so. <laughs> um, well, that's the kind of interesting thing about Tomahawk Cruise, with, you know, which is that, what a name, you know. And um, it, it just sounds so attractive. And, of course, it was... Um, the the name for the Tomahawk cruise m- missile um, which was um, you know the Americans were stationed in in uh, Britain at times as, as sort of a as a as a staging point to get to Russia presumably and um, you know without any consent from the British people about uh, about having it on our land um, so we were kind of being just walked all over you know, as as normal people are in, in, in war, you know, in, uh, in war, even if it's Cold War. And um, but what what really kind of led me to write the song was just was the name. What a name to call, you know, this sexy, bold name for a, for a, <laughs> a weapon that's going to that's going to be killing people. And that put together with with the with the trampling on humans rights, you know, was what really inspired me to write a song. And the song saying it's not about it's not about the uh, the metal, uh, it's about the people you know the evil minds behind the uh, the weaponry. Um, so I so I kind of personified the the, the missile as if it was a real uh, being, you know, going about its business.
1: And that was that was during the whole Greenham Common thing, right? When all those uh, women were protesting or whatever. I think I, I remember that. That was right before I left. I think before I left the country.
2: Yeah. As yeah. I say, I think. Uh, you know, people got sick of not being asked. You know, you know, we pay our taxes. We're supposed to have some kind of say into whether into whether or not you know these these uh, these weapons of mass destruction are allowed to to uh, to be on our on our territory.
1: Do you look back on that on that uh, Explorers album? Are you, do you look at it with fondness, or do you, you know?
2: Yeah, I love it. I've, um, I've I really like that the the songs and the and the production on it.
1: Okay, interesting because uh, it you know some some of it to me um it's 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 very eighty sound and I think it's the uh I think it's the keyboards and stuff like that, but mm. uh, you know kind of almost mid American some of it, but um there's some great songs there. And, mm. uh, I mean, in a way it, it reminds me, it remind, well, it doesn't remind me of Cut the Crap, but you know, that last Clash album that was just completely ruined by Bernie Rhodes's nonsense mm-hmm. production. Whereas if it was really done with a, with a real, you know, with a real band, I think it could have been a completely different, completely different album. Mm. But it was a, but it was a piece of the time, I guess, right? That was the time that you, mm. that you were
2: putting it out. Well, you know, I'd, I, I just went I went, I went back to listen to it again just recently because I've been doing these, uh, live streams with, with um uh, picking up a lot of the songs i don't play um, on stage and mm-hmm. i've so i've played all the explorer songs acoustically and i'm just I, and i like the sound of the album i mean i know it doesn't sound like you know, it does sound very 80s you're absolutely right you know and we, that's why we we had a synth player because uh, it was the 80s and it sounds like the 80s but I, you know i wouldn't apologize for that i think it's got a very uh, punchy powerful sound
1: that was the same keyboards player as you had in the later years of the adverts, right? In the, in the later version of the band? Uh,
2: actually, no. He, was, he initially uh, joined the Explorers, but then he went off to... He got a, an offer he couldn't resist from Mike Oldfield, so he went um, back on tour with Mike Oldfield. Wow, and, Mike Oldfield, uh, right. Yeah, which is what he was doing before, um, before the adverts. Um, curiously, the Cast of Thousands was produced by the, the same guy who produced Jubilee Bells, so when I said I wanted some keyboards on Cast of thousands, he got hold of Tim Cross, and um, to play keyboards. And I I liked Tim's work so much that I then asked him to join the Explorers, which he did. But then, you know, we we couldn't afford to pay him what Mike Oldfield could pay him. It was really really you know he couldn't say no to that. So um, so he went off with Mike Oldfield, and I got in another keyboard player called Mel Wesson, uh, to uh, to do the actual album. Okay, and so was it? I'm sorry. Okay, go I'm ahead, no, no.
0: Obviously. No, I was going to say, was it? So was it after the Explorers that you kind of felt like the the music business had left you behind, where you kind of were disgusted with everything? Was that uh, the point, or was there a little more after
2: that where you were still kind of? Uh, uh, Explor- uh, Explorers, well, I guess, was the last gasp, um, because um, although we did get a record deal for the Explorers, um, they didn't manage to sell any records. <laughs> you know, mm. they didn't. You know, Tomahawk Cruise was on a, a little label, Chiswick, I managed to get a, a, a small chart position, um, but then ran out of copies. By the time we uh, we uh, we got new copies in the shops, the moment it passed. So then we uh, then we we did get a record deal for the Explorers with a label called Kaleidoscope, which was a a CBS um, sub label of CBS. So it was in many ways it was a major label. Mm. But I don't they didn't know what to do with us you know they, they, we were too complex and too mm. non-mainstream despite the uh, 80s sound and um, they didn't know how to sell you well, they didn't know how to sell us they didn't know how to deal with us um, and we had no success we had no money coming in the gigs were a disaster you know <laughs> we we couldn't get people to come along to the gigs we toured we went we took we went out to to, to uh, Germany and uh tried to set up some gigs there, uh, no one came, the PA guys left, left us abandoned, and uh, the promoter <laughs> didn't pay us, and we ended up um, stealing his van and driving ourselves back to Italy, to <laughs> and that was the end of the band, and, um, and shortly after that, my manager died. Uh, and I was left without anything, uh, any connection to music business whatsoever. No one, no one wanted to know. So, I would say yes, definitively. <laughs> 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 wow, that's a sad <laughs> story. Up, had enough were... of the music business, and they'd had enough of me. Clearly.
0: Well, would you? I mean, at that point, were you like, "I'm, I'm, I'm done"? I, 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 did you feel like at that point you were you were going to? Did you feel? Did you give up, or did you just feel oh, like no. you were done?
2: No, no, I've I kept going. I just didn't go. I didn't do anything with the music business. I mean, not. You know, if they'd been knocking at my door, I'm sure I would have. Um, I would have answered, but they weren't knocking at my door. But I was still writing songs, and uh, and uh, Tim Cross came back from Mike Oldfield, and we we um, we I regularly go down to his place with his four-track tape recorder and we'd record demos, and um, and um, that's basically what I did for the next ten years. We I did make a little album called Channel Five on a very small label, but they went. Bankrupt the week the album came out, and the and mm. the album got out of the warehouse.
0: So you never really quit. You never, for any amount of time, quit writing songs. You just you never really quit, even if you weren't really on the
2: bigger radar. You always worked. Oh, I never quit. No, I never quit. But they definitely the music business quit on me. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> well,
1: the music business is a very different business today, and/or are you finding some of the same problems in it? Well, it's hardly a business.
2: Well, I mean, yeah. the the interesting thing about the whole, um, you know, the whole um that whole period for me was that, uh, and particularly um going solo was that it, it brought me back to basically what my punk roots were which was diy um so i don't have anything to do with the music business now i don't care you know i i, I do i do everything myself and um i'm not after you know global success i'm quite happy Going around and playing to my devoted audiences, and uh, mm. and doing exactly what I want, without anyone making me do stupid covers that I don't agree with, <laughs> or, 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 you know, or messing up my mastering or the sound of the record. I do exactly what I want, and uh, and I don't care. Well,
1: who, hmm. who 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 issues the vinyl and the uh, and the CDs? Because you do have you do have vinyl and CD releases, right? For uh, you know you've been doing your solo stuff for you have know, like 12 oh, albums, I think, right, or something.
2: Yeah, I put them out through whoever, you know, whatever makes sense. Sometimes I do them completely myself. Um, and sometimes I put them through labels who I get on with and, and have a good relationship with.
1: Okay, cool. But basically
2: I create, the, I create the album and pay for it and record it all myself and then I decide what to do with it afterwards.
1: Hmm. Now is it is it just always you solo or do you have, or do you have a band sometimes that, that you'll play with as well?
2: Uh, i've got a bunch of uh, mates who I sometimes um i will i would record with a band um and sometimes i do it solo I, you know the the last album Lockdown a holiday was obviously solo because uh, i wasn't allowed to meet anyone <laughs> you know we were all in lockdown um, um but previous ones i've got uh, you know a, a small group of of, um, musicians who I love, who I will, who I will, um, have. It depends on the songs really and on just how it develops. there is the great thing about, uh, not having a label is there's also no, no map of how things go. I'll start writing and I'll, you know, I'll start, if I, if I get some arrangements, I'll start playing around with the arrangements myself. And sometimes I'll play all the instruments myself. Sometimes I'll just get a drummer in and do the rest. Sometimes I'll, I'll get other musicians in for everything. Um, it hmm. depends how the feel is Do you, so let's talk about that
0: new album a little bit so this this the new album is strictly pretty much inspired by the circumstances of the last year is that my understanding
2: yeah i didn't have any intention to write an album at all to be honest it was only a, a, two years since the one before land of the overdose and uh i don't generally you know my my average score is about one album every four years but uh yeah, everything that happened was just so overwhelming. I I found myself writing, and uh, I didn't stop. So you actually
1: had COVID, right? You you got it early on in the in the pandemic.
2: Yeah, I got it March last year. Um, was out on tour with Stiff Little Fingers, and the professionals, which was really setting up to be a great tour. You know, mm. was, definitely, yeah, yeah. Tour. Dream tour, really. And we did the first three dates. I was first on. You know, all the crowd was in. You know, they went. Yeah, you know, the fantastic reaction. It was just, you know, really overwhelming. But already the... Were, rumb- were you
0: doing a band? Were you doing a band or were you doing up there with no. your acoustic guitar?
2: No, that was solo with the acoustic okay. guitar. And uh, yeah, it really was a really... Tony, um, looking out to be a great tour. But uh, the first rumblings of COVID were already, all, already around. And um, we already had doubts whether the tour was going to... How far into the tour we were going to get. And in the end, we only got three days into it before it was pulled. Um, unfortunately, on the on the final day, uh, me and my partner uh, both uh, caught COVID um, when someone in front of us had it in a in a service station, whereas we were getting a coffee. And uh, so we came off talk, came back uh, back down to the West Country, and uh, two days later, we were flat, uh, unable to get out of bed. Oh dear. So, um, so when I came round, you know, I had plenty of time to contemplate the situation, how it had been handled. You know, we should never have been allowed to go on tour. That's the fact. I mean, it was, you know, it was actually clear that this was an extremely dangerous um, a disease and everyone should have been locked down much earlier. So, you know, I just started thinking about that and thinking about the, the situation in the rest of the world and what was happening, what was going to happen. And I started writing, writing about it and... Uh, I finished one song and thought well that's not enough I'll write another one and that's what I did until the whole album was done.
0: Hmm. Recorded it right in your house?
2: Yep.
1: Hmm. Now were you actually hospitalized with COVID or were you were you just able to, to get over it at home?
2: You didn't you didn't get hospitalized in, in March um, last year they didn't you couldn't even get anyone on the phone about it and uh, um, you couldn't speak to anyone about it no one you know we weren't geared up for it uh, couldn't even get any any painkillers from the pharmacy. There was nothing, you know, all the shops had already been stripped with a panic buying. Right, so right, we, yeah. It was kind of cold turkey dip. And, you know, it was um, hard. It was touch and go. for. We both felt we might not get over it, but we did. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I just feel grateful that I'm still here, to be honest.
1: Well, see, yeah, I mean, a lot of the new—I mean, a lot of those songs on that album, I mean, really, really good. I mean, really powerful songs.
3: After a winter of rain, they're emptying the shells again. The walls are closing in. I'm taking a homebound train. My tail between my legs. A head full of hopelessness, nobody ever suspects it, we're already infected, sometimes it's hard to believe it, it's hard to believe it, it's hard to believe it, it. but we are the lucky ones, the lucky ones. in the service station, that's where my calendar ends, as for the government's ideological fight, I'm hearing the words of the left, swelling out of the mouths of the right, sometimes it's hard, to believe it is hard. Each man for himself Meanwhile in some refugee camp Without any water on tap The world has turned its back You can get sick just like that We metaphorically wash our hands Complain about the holiday plans But if you simply accept it You're already Unexpected. Sometimes it's hard to believe it is hard.
1: Um, do you have any, do you have a new one coming up? Do you have anything, anything in the, in the, in the pipeline?
2: Well, I'm, I'm, I'm still kind of getting over that album to be honest. And, uh, I haven't been anywhere and uh, I think I've had my say about this whole, um, situation. I want to get, I don't want to, I don't feel like writing more at the moment. You know, I feel this one is still current to me. It's very close.
1: Yeah. You haven't taught it yet or anything like that. Right. Right.
2: Uh, so i don't have an agenda to, to to write new stuff yet i want to get out i really want to get out on the road and present this album to be honest so what i've been doing over the last year as i as I already said is i've been revisiting a lot of old songs that kind of slipped through the net and um and looking at them again and, and pulling them out and um, playing them over live streams because there's a lot you know there's a lot of songs when you've got kind of Three or four hundred songs is an awful lot that that kind of go under the radar, and I, you know, I've been revisiting them, thinking, well, actually, that's a pretty good song, you know, that deserves to be heard again.
1: No doubt, no actually, doubt. I
0: actually kind of wanted to ask you that. I mean, what if we go see if you go see a TV Smith set right now? You know, oh well, not right now, because, but you know, <laughs> say in the fall when you're doing shows again, what's t- How do you pick your set list? And is it and is it possible to hear something like a like a One Chord Wonders? acoustic guitar, does it work?
2: Oh yeah, I mean I've been doing that for years. I mean, uh, so I that one think, does translate well. Okay, oh, I think they all translate well. To be honest, I mean they were written on acoustic guitar, um, mm. and every every single song I've ever written has been written on acoustic guitar, and then and then you know turned into a band song. So all mm. I did when I started playing solo was I stripped it back to the way uh, it was written, and. Um, it's it's if sort I of hard think. to
0: imagine those songs without that crazy drum beat
2: behind it. Mm. <laughs> I, I, I need to hear it. It's a different it's a different kind of approach to it for sure.
4: Welcome wonders. I I wanna play for you tonight. Something heavy, or something light. Something to set your soul alight. Oh, well, I wanna answer when you say. Song. We know the audience has gone. When we feel a little bit obscure. Think we're not needed here. We must find new way. I ask next year. Yeah. The one that don't care, we don't give a damn. The one that don't care, we don't give a damn. The one that don't care. We don't Don't care, we don't give a damn. The ones that don't care, we don't give a damn. The ones that don't care, we don't give a damn.
2: And, but I have done a, an album called Acoustic Sessions, which is um, a selection of songs, just acoustic, as as the title hints at, uh, sure. including the punk songs, you know, some hmm. of the adverts songs. And I've been live streaming, I've live streamed every single song from the adverts um, two albums and every Explorer's one as well come to that. And, uh, so do
0: so where do we find? Is that on your social media? Then where do we find something? Where could we find
2: it? They're still up on the Facebook page, actually. I don't take them down. Okay. Uh, so yeah, for sure you can. Uh, you should be able to find them on Facebook. See, so so that's fe- kind of your that's kind of
0: your way of keeping in touch with people while you haven't been able to get out get on the road.
2: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, I really concentrated in on on you know the stuff that can go out through social media. And if you don't do Facebook, there's a there's quite a lot of songs done acoustically on. On YouTube as well, including i'm sure oneka wonders and Gilmore and that are on there i mean there's about i've probably done thirty or forty songs up available for available to, to what talking about to view on youtube I,
1: I i tell you what maybe when you were doing the uh, those few dates of the tour with Steph Little Fingers, you might have rubbed off on Jake a little bit because um I think the only gig Tom and I saw in 2020, there was a, a gig at, a, at an outdoor, um, at, a, at a parking lot, basically, one of those parking lot shows. And um, it was, uh, was Pegboy, right, Tom? Uh, it was Pegboy yep, Peg and Boy. the ball weevils. But Jake Jake Burns showed up, and he actually did a little acoustic set, which was, cool. re- which was really, really unusual for him, I think. I, at least I've never heard of him doing a, an acoustic set before, so maybe some of your stuff rubbed off on him for
2: that. I think that was maybe like September or something. I bet, I bet Jake could carry that, that off really well. I certainly don't see why he couldn't do that.
0: Yeah, he he's a great storyteller, definitely. Mm-hmm. So it's like you, you sort of enjoy the story between the song as much as the song sometimes. I think.
2: Mm-hmm. But yeah, it was, a, it was,
0: it was cool. It was cool
2: about playing solo is that you really have to you know learn to communicate with the audience. You can't just sit there stand there and say nothing. You know, yeah, yeah. and it creates a very kind of close relationship with with your audience uh, you know that's one thing i found you know i always found it a bit awkward being in a band what you say between songs while you you know your bandmates mates are twiddling their thumbs but of course when you're when you're solo the, the stage is yours and the audience is yours and uh, and you create a whole different kind of relationship and people who find it you know have never seen a, a solo show and don't understand how it could work without a band Have to kind of understand that it's it's a different uh, it's a different chemistry in a way um, that that you create on a solo show. Well,
1: it's very much the Mm. spirit of punk rock. I mean, it really is. Even though musically, you know, you can say it is or it isn't, but definitely DIY, and you you know you're doing Mm. everything.
2: And uh, and I think um, my my feeling was that a lot of bands were uh, started to hide behind the amplification. And the image, the band image, you know, yeah. stick on a jacket and turn up the turn up the volume. Um, but hey, just a minute, what about the content? You know, that see, it bothered me that that uh, that a band format became something to hide behind. Um, so I, you know, I found it actually a very scary challenge to go solo, but one that I've immensely enjoyed and found very very satisfying.
1: Well, that is an amazing thing because I mean, that BBC documentary was it BBC? I'm not sure, but there was a documentary on you, right? Um, BBC,
0: BBC Four, right?
1: Okay, We Who Wait. Yeah, and yeah. Um, just the whole concept, yeah, that you can just you go on public transportation with your guitar and and you show up for your gig. This you know everyone always thinks, oh, you're going to do a gig, you have to have a van and you have to have this and you have to have that, and you just literally yeah. just put your CDs in a bag, you put your guitar over your shoulder and go play. I mean, that's yep. talk about freedom, right? Like yeah, what he
2: exactly. like what you go through, yeah, yeah, exactly. So like, I didn't invent it. I just thought you know, it's just like thinking, what, well, why not? You know, why? Why do you have to have all these trappings, and you know, all this unnecessary stuff? Why? And 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 you don't. <laughs> that's that simple. You know, you have to just sometimes you just have to step back and and look at it again and think, well, what is this really about? And for me, what it was really about was the songs, and the facts you know having to have a band having to have a van having to you know do do all this other stuff that was actually stopping me from being a creative person that huh. to go so d- does that make
0: it that much more special when you do do something like TV smith and the bored teenagers and you do the full band is it or yeah. is it just is that sort of the novelty now
2: yeah it's, it, no that makes it, it does make that more special and one of the reasons it makes it more special is cuz i can just crash into that and do it and there's no band politics because we don't see each other that much so they're hired they're a
0: hired they're a hired band basically and you just go and do your thing well, i mean you could cool up hide i mean but I, don't, uh, <laughs> I I don't I think didn't mean anything insulting by that <laughs> i didn't mean that as an insult i just meant it as you know it wasn't the same dynamic as when you were kids and there was sort of that infighting and all that stuff you know?
2: yeah that's right in that sense you're right and, but and you know it's a genuine bunt, bunch of men oh, okay. sure. who, who, who i don't have a chance to, we don't have a chance to fall out with each other because we just go in and we we do it and then we sure. and then we don't see each other for a while so we were really keyed up to do it and uh it hasn't got that same, the, you know the dynamics of bands where you start bickering and falling out you know that doesn't happen sure well you're older and wiser now Indeed. much wiser yeah, <laughs> yeah. <I'm> much older <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: has, was, has, has there ever been any interest from gay to to play with you live
2: well Gay never um never played after the after the uh after the adverts broke up. She basically put down her, her guitar and uh, and didn't play again.
1: Yeah, yeah. I see she's uh she's a very popular artist these days. I see she's got a lot of artwork and stuff out on different sites. Good stuff, too. Yeah. Yeah. Basically
2: she what she went to, yeah. Yeah. Are
1: you are you guys still in touch at all or did you kinda of lose touch?
2: No, um, we don't really have much contact.
1: Okay. Hmm. Um you you play again. I said you play all over Europe and you play all over the place. Who are, and you play with a lot of new newer bands, which is great. So, who are the favorite new bands or bands you think people should uh, should listen to that, that you really enjoy?
2: Oh gosh, that's always a big question, isn't it? Um, Put I mean, you on the spot. Yeah. Because um, <laughs> I know you've done
1: to... splits with some bands, right? Haven't you done some splits? Some forty five, some seven inches.
2: Uh, not not a lot, to be honest. Not a lot. No um i mean i've gone you know i've done things with with bands in in other countries where i've, I've toured with you know like you're probably thinking of the the um ep with susie and los cuatro yeah um, but from spain but that is actually the band that turned into the board teenagers that's where i first met met them
1: mm.
2: um, but without susie the singer um so they, they kind of transform transformed into uh, into the Bull Teenagers, and I've done some, uh, I did a single with uh, Punk Lurex from Finland when I was touring there, they asked me to do a record with them, um, and the band, I'm, I'm more kind of into the, the, some solo people really in Britain, people like, um, people like Billy Lyre and F. A Super Tramp, and... Um, hmm um i you know there's loads billy,
0: of billy Ly- i i i know that last billy lyre album was put out by a little label out of chicago called red scare that's it's actually a real good album it's called yeah. some like some legacy i think it's called or something like that
2: That's right. yeah. Yeah, great he's super he's a great great uh, live performer and um i think there's a whole there's a whole load of talent out there you know i I not having been on the road for a year i can't i can't think of it, I can't think of it. <laughs>
1: Well, that's one of the things we try and do with this show because I mean, obviously, I love the old stuff. You know, we, we go seventies, eighties, nineties, and you know, a lot of bands, you know, from today and stuff. So we do try and cover a bit of everything. So it's really important for everybody to know that there's still some amazing punk bands out there. And, you know, bands that are doing it for the right reasons, and
2: you know, yeah, yeah. Well, it's... if you're looking for a punk band, you can't do much better than the Cyanide Pills, for example, from uh, from Leeds. They're they're a, a band well worth checking out. it does not ring a bell i have to check them out yeah have a listen cyanide pills they're a real um really really good uh, um punk pop punk band it's funny you know we
0: got this internet at our fingertips it's almost like an information overload like we (laughs) we used to hear about bands from our friends and now it's uh, there's just too many bands it's hard to keep track of them all
2: yeah that's that's certainly true yeah i mean it's how you how you kind of how, how do you put in the filter
1: well, it's exactly. actually it, it was actually a good thing and a bad thing because there was something nice back in the day when you know the bands were kind of mysterious you know you'd see a write up in the enemy one week or something and you wouldn't really know much about them whereas these days everything you want is right there at your fingertips so yeah. i don't Isn't always, it, jo- it always makes it too easy right you know, it's like it's like the streaming thing it almost makes the music too accessible
2: yeah i i, t- I totally see your point but i tell you if i had the choice between you know if i was a, a a musician starting out and i had the choice between starting out now or starting out in 1975 i would definitely choose now because you know if you're smart you can get your music out there and at least get it in some kind of you know uh, a shop window where people might find you and then then all you got to do all you got to do then what you got to do is just try and point people towards it but you can put it out there you know you can lay what you've got on the table, and then try and point people towards it. Whereas, you know, when I was was growing up, you know, with sleaze, for example, um, there was no audience. There was no way of presenting to an audience. There was nothing you could do. And if you so, weren't in the right place at the right time, which happily a couple of years later I was, then you could forget it. No one was going to find you.
1: Especially if the music press, the you know, sounds and the enemy and stuff, if they didn't write you up, then yeah, you were basically not not going to yeah. go anywhere, right?
2: It's, inter- say, it's interesting it's interesting you're like you or not as if they even wrote about you you know if they didn't write about you forget it
1: yeah it's interesting
0: you would say that you'd rather be doing it now because i think a lot of the kids are doing it now wish they could go back to the
2: back to the old days well they they kind of assume that they would get noticed but the trouble is yeah. the, the you know the the death blow is not getting noticed absolutely
1: yeah, yeah. You want? I mean, how many fantastic uh, bands came out? Yeah, in the late seventies, early eighties, that would put out one single and then just fade away because nobody ever, ever heard of it, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of a shame.
0: Well, I listen. I think we better let TV go back to his, uh, go back to his dinner, Neil. Unless you, I would say, I know you probably have, you might have, you always usually have. When I say it's time to wrap it up, <laughs> you usually have several questions. So.
1: Well, I actually, I, I actually have have one have one question and then one statement. Um, so one thing, one thing we do on the show sometimes, Tim, is, uh, we do the, uh, Johnny versus Johnny versus Johnny. Oh, you're not going to do that. I am. I am. I'm going to put him on the spot. So Johnny Rotten, Johnny Ramone, Johnny Thunders, which one would you pick as being influential? As
2: being influential? Well, you can take it however you want it, really. To you
1: specifically. To you specifically.
2: Well, you know, I would have to say my own personal, um, um, case it would be Johnny Rotten because you know it was a scene when I came to London and saw the pistols and and saw this extraordinary front man who was like nothing I'd ever seen before. you know, I was absolutely bowled over with that how how you know just how extraordinary he was and how um, how extraordinary that band was and how that sense that uh, music was going to change forever after the sex pistols. You know, and whatever um John Johnny has done since, um, not all of which I approve of. Um, <laughs> I've got to say, uh, I've got to say that you know the the first um, time I saw the Six Pistols live was uh, was life changing.
1: Which venue was that? Which, which famous gig?
2: Um, well, I always think of them. It's, a, it's a, at the Hundred Club, I've seen the first time, but okay. it was an awful time ago, and I might. I might well have seen them in some other venue, but that's where I always picture them <laughs> seeing them the first time. I don't think it probably was.
1: Yeah, it's funny. Some of those early pistols gigs now they get so much they've so much historical reference throughout the years. They've almost become like legendary, right? So, yeah. but there was like 200 people there, right? Flat, probably. Yeah.
2: Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I saw them in some weird places. I mean, I saw them in a police training college in North London somewhere. I don't. I don't <laughs> But, you uh, know, we weird or strange, but true.
1: Now, did you ever have any interaction with uh, Johnny Ramone or Johnny Thunders? Did you ever play with them or do anything like that?
2: I didn't have interaction with Johnny Thunder. I did play the Explorers. I think it was Explorers. No, actually, I think it was um, after the Explorers had played with um supported Johnny Thunders in Dingles. Um, um, oh, it, was, it was Johnny Thunders solo, and I was playing with Tim Cross. And a tape recorder hmm. supporting him. and um but it was it was sadly, it was pathetic, you know it was a <laughs> when Johnny was really past his best, and uh, you know he'd forget songs midway through, and loved the audience it. You know, yeah they 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 called out there, yeah, they they loved it, they applauded when he's when he messed up, but um, I saw the heartbreakers many a time uh, in London. And they were they were sensational. They were great. And uh, what an album that, that LAMF is. I mean, fantastic songs. Absolutely. And uh, the production is a bit weird, but if you switch it up loud, it doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah.
1: Tr- true enough. True enough. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, thanks for answering that one. And then, so... go ahead. <laughs>
2: I've got to say Johnny Ramone was fantastic too and when I saw the Ramones that changed my life as
1: well it's it's funny everybody I ask that question to like people think it's a funny question but almost every person has had a different answer you know what I mean Mm. and there's there's a a good reason for each one of them right I mean if and I think if you're English you always got rotten and I think that's what I did but like like Tom would say Johnny Ramone and then we've had Mm. like Ricky Rat I think said like Johnny Thunders right so it's there's always someone who's got you know it's it's actually an interesting question Mm.
0: yeah
1: so the one statement I wanted to make was, my mum and dad, uh, they they blame you for me not very not doing well at my O levels. So there you go.
2: <laughs> <laughs> it may be that it turned out for the best that way.
1: <laughs> yeah, because <yeah>, <laughs> I think I think I got I got a uh, red I were got
2: heading for life. A normal that? life. Were <laughs> you heading for a normal life?
1: Well, that's no, that's true. I was. It was, I was rev- revising for my O levels when I got crossing the Red Sea. And uh, I got it secondhand at a music <laughs> store in Liverpool. It cost one pound seventy-five, and uh, I put it on and didn't take it off for like three weeks. And then, you know, I, I got all C's. So, you know, <laughs> so, so Mum said it was your fault. So um, I
2: hope I hope being derailed at an early age was good for you and not bad for you.
1: <laughs> well, I'm, I'm doing I'm doing this now, so I don't know how good it was. I could be a doctor we'll or something well, who knows. Same boat. Right? Hmm. Who knows? Who knows? But anyway, it's a crooked, uh, it's Tim, a crooked path, man. Yeah, it's a crooked it is, path. It is. It's an interesting path for sure. But, uh, thank you so much for coming on with us and giving us your time. Really, really appreciate
2: it. Pleasure, Neil. Thank you, Neil. Thank you, Tom. And, yeah. Uh, thanks so
0: much, man. And yeah. I, uh, I hope, I hope you can get back to doing what you do and getting on the road here sooner rather than later.
2: That's uh, going to happen soon. It's going to, you know, we're just all weathering out. And as I say, I feel luckier than a lot of musicians who, who are going to find it even tougher than me. So. Yeah, you know, we'll do it. Of course, we'll do it. Music will always live on. People are always going to want it, and we'll, we'll do it, whatever the obstacles.
1: And where can people find, uh, if they want to look up uh, lockdown holiday? Which I'm going to play a couple of tracks off uh, after this is after this is done for sure. But uh, where can where can they find that stuff? And where can they find you? Because you have a really good social media presence, which is actually kind of unusual for a lot of the uh, a lot of the older school uh, punk rockers.
2: I actually do an awful lot on social media, but, you know, people, when I do, people join in, so it makes it look quite lively. Um, but as far as, you know, buying the records, they, that's on tvsmith.com. Well, there you go. Short and sweet. All right. Yeah. I don't know how I thought of that. that, that <laughs> like.
1: All right. Well, thank you so much for doing this, mate. I um, really appreciate it. And uh, yeah, and good luck. Sorry, guys. With, with everything. Thank you. Best right. of luck to you. Cheers. Cheers.
3: took me to one side and said there is no job left here for you i was already a victim of a system weighed in favor of the rich and privileged few doesn't matter anyway it's a lockdown too short to be a slave it's a lockdown holiday no sights to see no friends to meet no work to do but who suckers never learn They think they can still tell us what to do But I live the new reality Eat, sleep and repeat It's a lifestyle I'm getting too used to Nothing matters anyway It's a lockdown Life's too short to be a slave, it's a lockdown holiday, no sights to see, no friends to meet, no work to do.
0: That was that was TV Smith. I uh, what do you think? You know, I really enjoyed talking to him.
1: I really enjoyed Chip. talking to him too. He was very open about everything, and uh, you know, we didn't we didn't stay on any one topic too long. Because I think if we had just made it an hour talking about the adverts, I think he might have got a little <laughs> a little upset, which anybody would. Go. But uh, he oh, was he, he was very open, right? He would talk about anything. Yeah. Very
0: you know open about kind of having been through the machinery of the business, which is always sort of interesting. You know, I'm pulling back the. Pulling back the curtain a little bit, you know. Everybody always, always sort of wants to dwell on the bright side, but it was yeah, it was refreshing. It was good. Yeah. I hope everybody hope everybody enjoyed it. Like I said, I don't think he's the household name to the younger kids, like he is a lot of us that have been around a lot longer. But yeah, man, definitely one of the early architects of punk rock, and it was uh, it was awesome to talk to
1: him. Yeah, and, and I mentioned I mentioned the uh, the documentary um, there, and you can actually find it on YouTube. The whole thing is it's only like it's like fifty five minutes long, so it's not super long. Why why we we Who Wait, right? We We Who Wait, which was an advert song. It was a B side. Yep. Yeah. So yep. it's called We Who Wait. So look up that or T V Smith and you'll see the documentary come up, but it's well worth a look. You know, there's lots of behind the scenes on the making of the albums and stuff like that and how they got their sound.
0: Extensive interviews with him and with Gay and some of the other people who were around in the band at the time. So yeah, it's good stuff. We're yeah. checking
1: out. Yep. So uh so anyway, that was one oh six. Hopefully you all uh hopefully you all enjoyed it. And uh yeah. You know we'll be back soon. We will. So uh, you never know who we'll get next. Exactly. You know, going from TV Smith or Glenn Matlock to, like, some 16-year-old in his first band or something. Who knows, exactly. right? Exactly. Yeah, so uh, anyway, keep a little mark in your heart, everybody. Stay free. Say your thing, Tom. Smell later. Yep, smell you later. All right, bye, everybody.